Ryan is always right, and I'm a big dummy. Welcome to the Illuminati podcast. <laughs> I've been waiting. I've been waiting for so long. Um, man, it's hard to say. It it really was. I had faith, and uh, man, yeah, USF is a false prophet. We have to tell everybody why you had to open the podcast with that, first of all. Um, so Ryan Smith joins us as well as uh, Anthony Vito, Seth Barnador, and uh, Cedric Padilla, live from Seattle. But So we got a whole group of us here. We're doing this on Skype. We're not doing it in the living room today. Um, but the reason Ryan is joining us is because let's just say that of all of us who have written for this blog or currently write for this blog, that Ryan, you were by far the most skeptical about USF football's prospects for this season. And so what was the wager between you and Nate about this? I believe the wager was that if, and and this was made after USF had just beat South Carolina state and Nate and I had kind of talked a lot about how we felt the season was going to go. Nate was very optimistic. I was very pessimistic. And I was, you know, cutting all you guys a lot of slack because I was like, you know, I haven't seen the team in person. Maybe you were seeing something. I'm not. But so after the South Carolina State game, um, there was discussion about the Georgia Tech game in which USF lost by four points to one of the worst teams in college football being a turning point a la Syracuse 2015. And... At this point, my brain just melted. And so <laughs> Nate and I made a deal. If USF beat SMU, then I had to join, I believe it was rejoin Twitter and say that I am a big dummy and that Nate is always right. And that if SMU beat USF, then Nate would say that he was a big dummy and that I was always right and that we would make the Ryan is always right podcast. So here we are. And I, let me also just say that, um, Ryan, I, where I agreed with you that I thought we would lose to SMU. I, I did think it would be closer. Um, I, I all summer was the one pumping this team saying they just need a fresh breath of offense. They need a, a new coordinator to get things right. It's, there's a, you know, these guys love each other more. My favorite Willie Tiger quote ever. Uh, <laughs> these guys are just going to love each other more. It's going to be fine. And so I was wrong, but I, I completely pulled out uh, about week one, about two quarters into the season. I was like, uh, we're not that nearly that good. We're not nearly as good as I thought we were. Um, but Nate, credit to you. You stuck with them through. At least three games this season. When did you know that this would be the Ryan is always right podcast? Ooh, um, when the ball was about the second drive of the game. (laughs) (laughs) When the ball went through Mike Hampton's hands and fell into the SMU receiver's hands, that's when I knew it was not going to be a good time. Um, Just knowing the history of USF and how those kind of plays end up going, uh, I knew. Uh, USF did not have a shot, and by golly, was I—I uh, I was right there. Uh, <laughs> so even when I'm wrong, I could still be right. So uh, okay, okay, buddy. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, Ryan and I had been back and forth uh, pretty much during the entire off season. I mean, I—I I mean, let's be real. I—I was—I was, 
I was USF football's PR man uh, for pretty much the entire spring and off, uh, you know, fall camp. Thinking, all right, this is going to be different. I, this team is going to be different. They got new coaches and they don't have coaches that are trying to fight players. Um, and they have an offensive scheme that is an actual scheme. Like there's a playbook and I just think there's so much more wrong with this program that I think even people around the program that I've talked to kind of let on. Um, it's they've now come to me and like, yeah, it's worse than um, expected uh, here. And it, comes down to confidence and coach strong said it in his postgame presser on saturday um you know if the the players are only confident if the coaches are confident and these players are not confident so what's the answer there they are beaten they are they will there's no energy they look exhausted um there's just no there's no joy there's no love like you know the 2015 se- season for USF though and 16 were those slightly disappointing at the end at least the players looked like they were having fun and we're not having any fun out there right now and that's really bad and uh it's not great um you know so i've i've kind of jumped off and by kind of i mean i leapt off uh the the USF football train, the Charlie Strong train, unfortunately. And, uh, Ryan, I'm right there with you. And, you know, Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening, I, I kind of laid it out. Um, you know, it, it's, it's time for USF to cut bait with Charlie Strong. And, uh, there's, uh, n- there's no signs that this is going to get better. Um, you know, Jeremy Foley, uh, when he was at Florida, said, you know, if uh, what must be done eventually eventually. should be done immediately. And I mean, not doing it after coming off a bye week and laying that kind of egg, not doing it on Sunday. You're just postponing the inevitable at this point Um, that you beat UConn. And now what? So you beat one of the worst teams in the country that does nothing for you. Okay, and then now you're going. Uh, you you try you get BYU at home. Do you think this this USF team's tough enough to beat BYU? It doesn't matter that the the Mormon Menzel might be you know missing the game. Uh, there's just a lack of toughness with this program that shockingly is not there anymore. All those Polynesian kids are going to come over here and whip our offensive lines ass. Like that. There's you know we talked about this on our. In our film room, um, I don't know if we're gonna if go back and check it out, but um, Seth pointed to it. It's there's just not enough good players out there, and that's an issue. And in year three, that's a Charlie problem. Um, and they don't look like they're playing free. They don't look like they're having fun. Uh, there's definitely some effort issues. I think that's fair to say. And I think the dissension off the field is pretty obvious. Other than that, I think it's going very well. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's really bad, and I just don't see it getting better. So, Ryan, go ahead and dunk on over, all over everyone for being right about this the entire time. So here's the thing, and I don't just want to pick on Nate because, you know, the way we've been talking about it, it makes it seem that Nate was like this cheerleader in one corner and, like, you know, was totally on his own. I mean, this was everybody. Over the summer, this was basically every single person at the Daily Stampede was saying that, like, things have changed, you know, the... And it was these, and I mean, 
the way I saw it was that what was being said, if every single factor went right for USF, if all of the toxic pieces had miraculously been cut out in one off season, if all the toxic coaches were gone, if all the toxic players were gone, if Charlie Strong, you know, took a step back from the offensive play calling, if the new offensive coordinator, Kerwin Bell, was good, if, you know, Blake Barnett was still in one piece, if the offensive line improved, if the defense improved, if all of those things happened and nothing bad happened outside of the foreseeable things, then all of that could happen. And just... Sometimes that works. We saw it happen in 2015. I always reference 2015 because that is truly the only season, I think, apart from this one now, where we have just swung and missed on how good USF was going to be. And we were still kind of right, though. But we were still kind of right. We were one and three. We were terrible. We were still trying to slam. You know, we were still running two tight end sets and driving the ball into the line with an offensive line that couldn't do it. And misusing Quentin Flowers. And so, like, we were kind of still right about that. We were, we were absolutely right in terms of what was foreseeable and what was, you know, what was in front of us. And right. what happened was something that we could not foresee, something that was just a totally radical paradigm shift, which happens. And that's why, you know, I was at least when we were talking about this, I was open to the possibility that, you know, that was going to be another 2015. But it just would have taken about... 20 dominoes to fall over and USF got maybe like one and a half dominoes to fall over. And like all the other dominoes fell over the other way. And then like some other dominoes that we weren't even thinking about also started falling over the other way too. It's just, I mean, it's, it, it, it was a general consensus that a lot of unrealistic things were going to all happen at once. And Again, I do want to say that that it, it's <laughs> there's some precedent for that, but it is very, very rare. And while I didn't expect it, even I did not expect it to collapse this badly. I don't think, you know, I don't think anybody thought the offense was going to be this bad. I looked at the offense and I saw, oh, you know, they got a lot of good pieces. They should be able to score some points. I mean, it's even worse than all of us expected. But at the same time, um, I mean, I, I don't exactly know what you guys were thinking, but I still love you very much. We love you too, buddy. So Um, here's the thing. All right. Uh, The way that everything had, you know, behind the scenes had been told to me, to Colin, to other people kind of, you know, around the program. It was like, all right, Sterling was the main problem. All of the players hated him. Okay, so you remove that. You bring in Kerwin Bell, who, I mean, you guys listen to the podcast. He is a great hang. He is fantastic. Um, you know, he, very much a people person. And you, you bring in that dynamic. You bring in what should be an exciting offense. Um, and I just figured, okay, you, you've got two senior offense alignment. And Billy Atterbury and Marcus Norman. Marcus Norman had NFL looks last year. Like that is like a like he had to decide to come back to USF. Okay, you have you had three offensive linemen that were freshmen who are now going to be sophomores, getting coached by a guy who is probably head and shoulders better than Matt Maddox. Okay, so all of this kind of combined. I'm like, okay, you. You can't get much worse than the offensive line was last year, and yet here we are. I didn't expect Marcus Norman to turn into 2016 Marcus Norman against Temple. I I did not expect him to be a turnstile. 
I didn't expect Billy Atterbury to be so horrific at basically either position. He's a little bit better at right guard right now, but he was just atrocious at left tackle. There's just those things that, you know, Ryan, as you mentioned, those unforeseen things that just kept falling apart. And this team got hit in the mouth by Wisconsin, and I don't think they've really recovered. Um, You know, Jordan Cronkite can't find a hole. He's bouncing everything outside because there's nothing opening up in the middle. I expected a bigger leap from the offensive line than it's been, and maybe it improves later this year, but uh, I think it – I think this season, this program is too far gone for Charlie Strong to fix. With and all I that being said, I'm sorry, go ahead. I mean, I'm pretty good at reverse jinxes, but I don't think I'm going to be able to get this one. I just, you make a really good point though. And the reason why I can't, you know, like, first of all, like, it's not that exciting to be like, I told you so, like, oh, the program sucks. Like, I'm so happy that we're so bad. You know, obviously, you know, you're cheering for things to go well. So apart from that fact, I mean, a lot of the things that are happening this season, you know, yes, I didn't see how all the pieces were going to come together and how all of those things that might happen were going to happen. I didn't see that happening, but I also didn't see all of the awful things that are happening this season as really in the cards. I mean, if you told me that Jordan McLeod was going to be starting by the end of the second game of the season, I mean, that wasn't even in my you know, realm of possibilities. If you told me Jordan Cronkite would be averaging under two yards a carry through three games, I wouldn't know what to tell you. I mean, these are, these are failures that are not even within the realm of progression of the failures from last year. These are failures that are inexcusable. These are failures that are, unprecedented these are failures that there's just you know if you told me like we were gonna go three and nine this year and it was gonna because the offense scored 30 points a game but the defense gave up 40 i would have said you know shame that's kind of where this team was trending but this is just a worse product in all sorts of ways foreseeable and non-foreseeable than i think any of us could have seen um yeah, it's a disaster. I thought USF had better players than this. Um, you know, I saw the star ratings and the recruiting rankings, and I saw what I projected into this team, and I think I just thought they were better than they were. And it looks like the the stale recruiting. You know, we, we I think I've always said that USF should recruit number one and number two in in the American Conference, and I stand by that. But we haven't done that really since two thousand what. 15 at latest right so you know all of these classes are going to catch up to you eventually and this is bad it doesn't sound like it's getting better anytime soon and um i'm pretty scared and i don't know with the financial position of the university and the need for an indoor practice facility to help solve some of these recruiting issues we got a chicken and egg problem here and i don't know how it's going to get better anytime soon all i know is that if this team somehow turns around and gets to a bowl game i will be stunned absolutely forward stunned and so will everybody else in this podcast. Seth, you look like you want to say something. Well, I think um, one thing that's been underrated is how bad Taggart's last two recruiting classes were. Yes. Not not necessarily in quality, and it may be quality, but how many of those guys are actual contributors right now? How many of those guys are still with the program? Those are supposed to be your seniors, your redshirt juniors, and your juniors. Name me, name me five guys that are contributing. 
Um, you've got in the tw- you, five, yeah, yeah, you got Wilcox, right? <laughs> yep. So he's 2015. Um, there's only one contributor from that 2016 class right now, and that's Mike Hampton, who um, he was Ryan's favorite guy last year, and he's kind of gone in, gone into the toilet. Um, See, was, yeah, I was talking to. Um, Steve and Seth, as we were leaving on Saturday night, it, there's, it seemed to be kind of like a trend. Like 2017, Mazzy Wilkins came out of nowhere and was like really, really good. And then last year, Mazzy wasn't as good, and Mike took the leap. And now we're seeing this year, it's KJ Sales is a legit NFL prospect, and Mike Hampton has just taken a step back. And for the name recognition. And uh, what we project for this team, it just always seems like there's one decent corner, one NFL borderline corner, and then the other guy who was also supposed to take that leap just never reaches his potential for whatever reason it is. And I think that's kind of what we're seeing here. We expected, you know, just put him out on an island and worry about the middle of the field, and that has not been the case. I mean, um, you know, Michael had that ball go through his hands, and then he got – beat deep again and then uh, the, the pick play and just all of those, you know, kind of things that, um, you know, a redshirt junior who's had a lot of run should be able to fix or not even have that show up. So it, it's a lot of the unforeseeables that Ryan, as you mentioned happening and man, it's, it's tough. It well, is, I, really I tough. think one thing that's kind of, I think most people are not really even thinking of. Um, first, just off that tough topic, just kind of getting back to the offensive line stuff. I mean, these guys, if just I, I was under the assumption that they were going to be a uh, pretty, pretty good unit just based on what uh, you guys had told me, the experience coming back and uh, just seeing the stats from last year, they were able to run the ball a little bit. And, but, you know, if you watch them, it's like they've never been coached before. I mean, they do a lot of stuff just – Technique wise, it's going to take a long time to get rid of. So that, that's something that, and I think if we went and asked everybody in here right now, if the offensive line was playing well, how well do you think the offense would be playing? Uh, oh, that's a really good question. Um, because, I, I mean, how many times have we showed guys running wide open? on the film room and just watching how many times have we shown, you know, we haven't been able to show the run game because that's been kind of the problem, but how many times you see guys just open that maybe I don't have time to throw like uh, Nate, remember that Wilcox down the seam and Blake had to sidestep somebody and was able to get his feet set would probably been a touchdown um, early in the third quarter. It's just, there's stuff like that. You, You can see from the, especially from the press box view where, I think it's easy to say, well, you know, this stuff's not working. But if you really watch it and look at it, um, the biggest problem is up front. And if that was fixed, I think you'd see a pretty good offense, so like a, a really above average offense. Um, even with, I think there are limited, I think the skill position players have been overrated by the fan base to a certain extent. I don't, I don't think they're quite as good as everyone thought they were going into the season. There's not a ton of explosiveness on the team. Um, I, I would, I mean, I'm not a scout or anything, uh, but I would guess there's probably three, maybe two or three, maybe NFL players on this team and that might be pushing it for, to get the third one. So it's hard to say, um, you know, some of that is the recruiting class from the last staff that should be kind of hitting that age right now. And then obviously there's been some misses with the current staff because, there's not a there's just not a ton of athleticism on this team, which is really surprising to me. 
And Bud talks about this all the time with his blue chip ratio and things like that, um, that he doesn't count the transfers as part of your as part of blue chip ratio. And the reason for that is, is because one, if you transfer somebody in, that means somebody that you already recruited transferred out. So probably a net wash there. And two, the, the kids that come in tend to just not contribute as much. So with the exception of the, uh, you know, the rare guy like a KJ sales, mostly you're going to end up with like mostly Temi Alakas, you know, who like fine player, you know, whatever, but like not, really making a difference out there for you, you know, not really like an explosive type. I think a, re- a really interesting thing with the recruiting classes that we mentioned is how I think there's two parts to it. As far as I'm thinking, like first off, how much do you put the blame on the Taggart staff for getting recruiting classes that were very highly rated? I mean, nothing was touching the 14 class, but the 15 and 16 class is still very solid classes relative to the rest of the AAC that did not pan out in terms of players staying with the program? And how much do you blame the Charlie Strong staff for just getting middle-of-the-road AAC classes? To me, I've always said it's really easy to judge a recruiting class after the fact. Say, oh, none of these guys stayed with the program. None of these guys contributed like we thought they would. And you can kind of play that game a lot and say, oh, you know, he, this Skip Holtz had a terrible recruiting class because, I mean, he did, but like, you know, he had an even worse recruiting class than we thought because none of his guys made it to graduation. Well, it's because half the guys transferred out and, you know, there are a ton of different factors leading to that. So how much do we judge those Taggart recruiting classes for not panning out versus doing his job by bringing in guys who were better than the rest of the AAC was bringing in, in theory. Uh, where's that uh, meme of the small child who goes, why not both? Yeah, no, you it's know? true. Um, <laughs> Nato brought like, up that 16 was Willie Taggart swinging for the fences and maybe bringing in guys f- for whatever reason. I mean, we, we went over it a few, like, like a couple of years ago, maybe last year. We have to probably pull that back up, but Little column A, little column B. Yeah, I mean, we really, when you when you know you're going to leave, you can take a little bit more. You can be a little bit riskier because you don't have to sit with the results. I mean, Taggart had one foot out the door, did he not? Yeah, I mean, when he had Stephen Godfrey in bed, you knew it was done. And I think he knew. I think he knew what he had in that 2016 team, and they were just going to score a hell of a lot of points, and he was going to get a new job, and that's what happened. I mean, again, that 2016 team, there's only the that 2016 class, 16 signees, only three are with the team still. And that would be less than ideal. Only one is contributing, and that's Mike Hampton. And so that would be your junior class right now? That that's your senior, your true senior class. Okay, so I mean th- that's kind of important group, juniors and seniors. <laughs> I mean they've had to kind of ship a bunch in from other places. To yeah. So fill. imagine the team without all these transfers that they had to bring in because the roster, because those upperclassmen either aren't there or aren't good enough players. And you know what's interesting to me? Uh, I mean. When we talked to Coach Strong at Media Day, uh, you know, I brought up the fact that there were only like three guys left from that 2016 class, and he didn't know that. But he brought in all of these. Should like when you see that there's a senior void, shouldn't you kind of already like trace it back to okay, why aren't why don't I have any senior scholarship players? Yeah, like 
That's why don't you know that? You should know that. The fact that you only have three seniors. But also, he churned. I mean, before we said we were thinking last year, he churned a lot of guys out, or for whatever reason, guys transferred out. He pushed out the what we thought was were potentially being bad locker room eggs or something. But how much of that is true? It's almost like we were kind of hoping that hey, this renaissance meant that hey, maybe you did churn some bad out of that, and that's going to help. But we're clearly seeing that's not necessarily um, the case. My my other question about those two classes is the guys that did leave. Who? What if? How many of them have gone somewhere and made an impact? Chris Olokin uh, yeah, is owning FCS right now. And he, got, and he got run out by Gilbert, right, basically? Basically. Uh, yeah. yeah uh, the rumor is uh, the bowl game uh, prep where he got all the reps and then was yanked after two series was the final. What, what class was he? 2016. Okay, so he was in the 16 class. Um, Elijah Mack, also 2016. He He's... Doing pretty well for Redacted. Uh, <laughs> D'Angelo Antoine just had four touchdowns for uh, Florida Atlantic. Yeah, he was 15 class. Andre Polk got hurt, never was able to stay healthy. Josh Dunn and Tramal Ivy never made it to campus. Craig Watts uh, thought about transferring, didn't, and then transferred to Valdosta State and won a national championship and finished, I think, third on the team in tackles that year. Um, Darnell Solomon left his hands in 2017 and left the team in 2018. Ooh. <laughs> that was that I like that. That was unnecessary. <laughs> My God, that kid though. That as far as raw talent, he's of all the guys that I've seen since I've been here, he's the second most raw talent behind MVS. I thought that I ever saw. His, his twenty seventeen game against UCF may have been every single bit as good as Tyree McCann's twenty seventeen game against UCF. I mean, he made some catches in that game that were out of this world. Mm-hmm. Got the game and, but, so so here here's my overriding okay we've taken all this and we what aspect on the field or off the field of anything relating to success in college football is usf good at right now where are we just even above average or mediocre on the field or off the field well i mean you guys are going to want to hear it but i think schematically the staff knows what they're doing on both sides of the ball. I mean, I, it's hard to say, but I can mean, I, when can when I give them an eye though? Because they don't have any talent to work with. So let's give them an incomplete. Like, well, that's what I'm just saying. Yeah. Schematically, the, the recruiting is also part of the job, right? So I'm just saying, if you look at the scheme on the field on both sides of the ball, it's sound. Uh, a lot of times uh, they're doing some kind of not necessarily innovative things, but creative things. It's not just like, on defense, I'm lined up and playing base and let my players do whatever they want. Like kind of just, all right, play your position. That's it. They're doing some creative stuff. They do some creative stuff on offense. Um, you haven't been able to see some of the stuff there. I know they're a lot more creative in the run game, but they're trying to get the simple stuff working now so they can kind of get there. Um, but I think schematically it's a good staff, but there, I mean, there is that classic debate that a lot of people, you know, would you rather have a great scheme coach or would you rather have uh, especially as your head coach, would you rather have a great scheme guy or a great recruiter? That's kind of recruiter. an a question. Recru- no, at this school, at this specific institution, at this place, look, if you're at Georgia Tech or you're at Rutgers or whatever and you want to run triple and you want to do it as scheme or you want to be at Wazoo and run air raid and have everybody know that because you, you've got to punch up week after week after week, that's fine. In this league, in this conference, we should be running out more talent than anybody else that we play except the team down the street. And the fact that we aren't is a f- – 
failure of leadership holistically, not just on the athletic side of campus, but on the academic side, too, because if we committed to this program the way that we should have, these things would not be falling through the cracks as the, the way that they have now. And that's the problem. We don't do anything well. We don't show up good. We don't promote ourselves good. We don't play good. We don't get good players. We 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 have bad even like we send out emails half an hour before press conferences and expect people to show up like that, we do everything bad. Everything is bad. I know the alumni email for uh, SMU tickets on Sunday. I emails for the wrong game. That's not great either. Like but we don't do anything well. Now, do I think we're fixing that? Absolutely. I am on board with the changes that are going to come to this program. But I think we got to realize that we are in as deep a hole as we have ever been. We're going to climb out. It's going to take a while. It's going to be fine. But we are in a – we're not in a hole. We're in, we're in like a crevasse. Like it's really bad. I do think there are two interesting things that we haven't mentioned. We talk a lot about the scheme versus recruiting, but I think two light bulbs kind of go off in my head, and I want to hear your guys' takes on this. The first is that Charlie Strong's recruiting to this point has been poor. I mean, it's really not been good, especially when you brought him in, particularly in part, or at least part of why we were excited about him, was his ability to recruit Florida. We basically said, Charlie Strong comes in, we're going to have the best classes in the conference every year. He's been floating somewhere around fourth at best, you know, fifth, sixth at worst. But so here's point one is that this team can still, you know, teams in the American can win the conference on fifth to sixth best talent. You shouldn't have to at USF. USF, you should be doing much better. But I mean, I, I do want to say that, like, it's not, you know, once Skip Holtz left and we had Willie Tiger come in in 2013 and you would like look at the quarterback room and you saw. Bobby Eveld, Matt Floyd, and like Stephen Bench. And you were saying like, oh, Jesus, like that's just, you know, there's nothing there. I mean, that cupboard is as bare as can be. It's not like that right now. It might be, you know, as more guys come in and out. But, you know, the, the failure to get guys on this team who are playing at the right level is, you know, it's not this team is not it's playing well, well, well under their recruiting levels right now, even their poor recruiting levels there. It shouldn't be as bad as it is. And I, I think it's easy to say he's not recruiting as well as he should be, but even at this mediocre gray area in which he's recruiting, I mean, these guys should be way better. I mean, the, the offensive line, it's the same five guys from last year. None of these guys are like, you know, guys like Brinjar Goodmanson, where you're like, you know, uh, Mac Begovich, where you're like, how the hell did he end up in the starting lineup? You know, these are guys, Marcus Norman had NFL interest. Billy Atterbury has been starting for four years, you know. But they're, they're being asked to do a lot more stuff than they ever have had to do before. Oh, that's I, I, and I totally, to, totally, I, totally. I, I think that's really the biggest issue is it's, you know, how many of these guys, you know, and that's the issue you have when you switch in schemes. How many of these guys fit? I don't know. Um, it's not a perfect fit for a lot of guys on offense. There's there's some guys that fit really well. I think up front, those guys, especially the younger guys, they just need to learn how to do it. But it takes it's going to take some time. They've got a lot of bad habits that uh, Darvo's having to kind of get out of them. And I know that 
those guys just kind of <laughs> hearing from uh, our roving cameraman on the sideline that, you know, they're a little frustrated as well, the coaches, but, um, you know, it's, it's just, I think it's, I think that's a big part of it is especially up front, the scheme change, just being asked to do more because they weren't asked to do much last year, just kind of watching. There wasn't a ton of stuff they were being asked to do. Um, but, but here, uh, that, it's the same problem you're always going to have in this conference, though. Everybody's in the same boat, which is like if you're good, your coach leaves. If you're bad, your coach leaves. You're always going to be in a state of transition. Like that's nobody's nobody's running in this league for 15 years, so everybody's got to fight the same battles, and you're going to have up years and down years. I totally get that. I think if you put Kerwin Bell on the 17 team, it's over. There, that team is a top 10 team in the country. You know, defensively, even as, you know, we put BJ's defense and, and Kerwin in charge of that offense, or even like, you know, Willie in charge of that offense in, in 17, they could have still been something really good. But the, everybody has, everybody's got to fight the same problems. There's not enough talent on the field. Part of that is because you don't have an indoor practice facility. That is certainly the, the excuse that your head coach is giving everybody around the program. And I'm talking like it's not just that. He wants other, accoutrement as well to help with recruiting that we're just not giving him. So that is certainly the excuse that the head coach is using with the community publicly and privately. I think that's fair to say. So solve the problem. Build a facility problem is build a facility. You can't afford the co- you can't afford to buy up the coach who could be staring like two and 10, three and nine in the face here. And that's insane, but that's where we are. We need more investment in this program to get out. You know, if if the crevasse is that deep, the only way out probably is to throw money into the crevasse and stand on top of the money. And we just don't have the money right now to do anything like that. So other than that, again, I, I think it's going fine. Um. <laughs> what do you guys make of the current recruiting class? Charlie Strong vaguely out of nowhere having his first up to standard recruiting class at USF. It probably won't matter. It'll probably all be gone in a few months, but um, I think that months? has more to do with um, You've brought in some Kerwin Bell than uh, Charlie. Um, by looking at it right now, they've got some dudes. Um, they have two quarterbacks committed right now who are players. Um, I think between them, Jordan Smith and Tate Roadmaker, I think they're like eight and one. Um, Jordan Smith from Columbia High School in Lake City, and then Tate Roadmaker from Valdosta High School, um, where they play in the same exact stadium as Valdosta State. There's a relationship there. Um, Tate's dad is the head coach at Valdosta High School. Kerwin and Tate's dad know each other. Um, and what, what what I see is just a bunch of speed. Um, Marquez Bell from Columbia is fast as hell. Um, the guy that they lost to Virginia Tech, um, blanking on his name now, uh, Tyree Saunders, yeah. Tyree Saunders, four by 100 state champ. Um, we kind of knew that was going to happen. Um, I know Quez Bell was wavering and they had to get him back in line. Um, kind of right before the season started, but they've got some dudes. Uh, Brian Batie from Sarasota is fast as shit, guys. Like, He's five seven and a half, 170 pounds, but he is fast as hell. Like legit, like four three, four four speed, um, and that's kind of what they need. They've got uh, Daquan Bailey Brown from Dodge City Community College. Um, uh, Daquan said that he kind of molds his game after Hollywood Brown for the Baltimore Ravens. And speaking to people on staff, that's exactly who they remind him of. Um, 
fast as all get out. Uh, Teron Keith from mainland fast as all get out. He's like, he plays quarterback for them, but he's recruited as a running back and he's just an athlete is what he's described as. Like their speed. And when we talked to Kerwin, um, on the podcast, he was like, yeah, I asked him, I was like, so are you surprised by the speed at this level? And he was like, no, we had faster guys at Valdosta State. So that's kind of where this program is. Um, I think it's just because of the type of offense that the homeboy at um, redacted uh, coach to. I mean, you want the big, bulky running backs, and that's what he got with Kronk and Javon Sands, and that's why Elijah Mack is doing so well. He wants the guys going in between the tackles. Well, this offense, that's not what you need. You need a Kelly Joyner. You need Johnny Ford. You need Brian Petit when he comes in to space people out, and I think we're going to see that I mean if he gets a chance next year if he's still around if Charlie's I mean if Charlie's still around shit went super sideways or they rattled off a trick one of both cannot be but true, here's the problem but we're, we're all okay but we're all talking about these kids that have verbaled okay signing day is like what third week in December right like yeah. right around there okay so terrific if Charlie's still your head coach the third week in December your fans are going to riot yeah. I agree. I'm, you know, I'm, so I like can't... we're not we're talking about these these kids that might come in, but okay. And then so let's say you do make the move, so you keep you keep your fans happy. All right. Well, then is that new head coach either going to run an identical type of system or keep the coordinators for a team that just went two and ten to four and eight somewhere in there? That seems bad too. Who can Damn. you get to run this program? Who can you afford because you're gonna owe? Somewhere between four and five million dollars, and I think it's below or into four. That's my personal. But who are you going to get? Did you guys know that there's an ex USF coach who took them to number two in the nation, who is currently available for a head coaching position? You are fired from this goddamn podcast. You know, (laughs) this is why we don't let you come on the podcast. I heard he's he's waiting on another job right now. Also. He liked a comment on Twitter or a tweet on Twitter that said he just needs to come back to the Bay. He's only making 80K up in Tallahassee. Easy coming. Let's go. Bring him back the trailers. He's making a lot more from Oregon, pal. Let me tell you. I will shut down this blog if that happens. Look, yeah, I got a, I got a question for you guys. People that will start it right back up, though, Nate, to be quite honest. Yeah, our, yeah they're going to be trying to buy the domain. You kidding me? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I've got a question for you guys because you guys are all, um, I'd say, probably more on the fan side a little bit. You guys are kind of in both in both arenas, really, fans, and then also look at it analytically. Um, just just to the to the recruiting note, I know uh, one of my buddies I coach with, the coaches at Trinity Catholic, where um, is it Merriweather Lewis Miller Merriweather Lewis is that his name? The big guard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Who's got like offers from LSU and stuff like that? So I, I was talking to him. He plays at Trinity Catholic. That's where Kerwin started coaching high school. But um, he knows that area really well. He said that that kid loves Kerwin and that kid loves Darvo. So. Let's say – so my question to you guys is this. Let's say the season does go sour. Up front, it never gets turned around. The offense is kind of at this level where it's, you know, 25 points a game. They're about, I think they're like 21 now, but that's including a big one. Let's say they're about 24, 25 points a game. Um, you can bump up Kerwin for cheap and keep the recruiting class together. Is that a route you guys would be happy with, or do you want a total – 
gut. I like Kerwin. He's won a national championship. He didn't forget how to coach. He's in our price range. That's a tougher sell to the rest of this fan base. I think you need to get him to prove something here. I mean, I'm I'm not opposed to the idea by any means, but I think you it's got to be merit based. What about the recruiting class? What if that's what I'm proving? I I think what you do is is like you pull the trigger, you you let go of Charlie, and you just hand Crowe the keys and say, "Prove it to me." And at the end of the year, you just reassess. Yeah, I'm fine with that. I can't be. No, I'm saying if we fired him at the, if we made a move at the end of the year, midseason, there's only one option. You have to go with Kerwin. I don't think anybody else on staff is ready to be an interim coach in any way, shape, or form. That's fine. But I'm talking about like, let's assume Charlie moves on, and you you want the guy who was just the coordinator for the team that was really bad to all of a sudden ascend to the head job, and you're going to be able to sell that to a city that has just completely checked out on this team now. Yeah, but what are you, what are your choices though, right? Like you, you got to think that MK when he went and said, "Hey, Kerwin, come on over." You, you got to think that this was in the back of his head. He's going to be at this situation, and who do you bring in who's cheap, who has that coaching experience, and quite frankly, like just he, he's a Florida kid, right? Kerwin Bell, the, the Florida great. I think that's an easier sell to this fan base. Than going out and getting some nobody from the Sunbelt Conference or I don't know from the West Coast Conference or, or wherever else. And he'll, but he'll could you, kiss babies and shake hands too. Like he's not a right. he's not opposed to doing that. He's a, I mean you guys he's a personable guy. Um, and I think another thing that's kind of really kind of really nobody really thinks about is. Uh, Probably two of your better recruiters on staff can't recruit because they're both quality control coaches. Okay. Yeah, that's Kate. part of yeah. And the, Rob- the Ro- and the Robustelli kid that coached receivers for him. Yeah. That kid can recruit too. So you got two guys that probably are going to help if they can get full time positions as well. That's so. But they're kind of okay. their hands are tied as well. I'm with you on all. Charlie gets the boot. Kerwin becomes head coach. Kate is the offensive coordinator. I would I would bet every single person's lives on that in this chat right now. Hey, wait a minute. Okay, but hey, hold on, hold on. Let's slow down. Nate, your bets are just getting more and more bold by the moment. <laughs> it was one <laughs> life. Of weeks ago. It was just Colin's life before. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, there we go. So, but we are way way through the looking glass here. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. You absolutely. are going need to, to see improvement. No, and it, it's better, worse than that. You, you okay? What's my best case scenario? Is you guys are right? We get firebombed at UConn this week. Um, you know, uh, we kiffin Charlie on the tarmac in, in Hartford. Okay, and then you know somehow we miraculously recruit better players, which is also a big part of the problem, and we win like six of our last seven. Okay, and then everything's kumbaya the rest of the way. That'd be great. Then you can sell Kerwin to this community. But if we ride out this season with Charlie, and then you're going to say to your fans, hey, you know the guy who ran that offense that like put up zero points against Wisconsin and didn't put up anything against SMU until it mattered and you know lost however many games this year? Yeah, he's now your head coach. By and then, will the level of apathy got- be so low or so high already? Would it matter? If they kept him the yes. whole year. No, it, because it does matter because it looks like you're going 
<laughs> Nate goes. Nate like pointed to his head like the meme where the. the well, if, the I mean, if, 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 if you guys no one, will, it, no one will care who you hire if they don't care already. <laughs> right. That's the saying. If you let it go to the end of the year, you guys are basically you're thinking like you wouldn't care at all by the end of the year. Well, then who cares who they hire then? No, because we, you're you're laying off so much more of the long term problem. I think Kerwin's a great guy. I think he's I think he's clearly a great coach. He won a national championship for a reason. I would love for him to be the guy. That's because I'm on the inside to an extent and I can see what all of us here see. That what Michael Kelly would see if he made the hire. But sell that to the rest of the city that you're trying to raise money from to pay for this facility to fix your long-term problem. But but don't you think that Michael Kelly is a guy that can sell that to this community, and Kerwin can sell himself to this community. God, I could you do it? It's those two. I mean, we got a bunch of Gators fans in the in the community that are uh, pseudo USF fans. I think it might be an easier sell than you're anticipating, um, Beach, because of that. Like, you can get away with a lot of the pool Gators with you know the 1987 SEC Player of the Year, Kerwin Bell is now your head coach. You can make okay, money off just- that. Speaking of show, I mean, I feel like in this in this situation, there's 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 a bit of improvement. You're seeing. I I think you need to see that. But I mean, the 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 other hand is, I mean, who's that other guy you're going to bring in that all of a sudden the the family just goes boom, I'm in, or boom, that's the guy. Like, who's your Scott Frost or Tom Herman? It's like you know we toss we toss guys in the. Why would he? Why would I mean? Why would he come to Texas? He's a Texas guy. So why would he come here? Texas guy, Air, all of a sudden now you're I like doing I, I mean, I'm just throwing out names that like make that might be able. Like, if you brought a former player back, that would be really helpful. The the, the problem and the other problem that we're going to have is the Levitt thing is going to hang over this entire curve sheet search like a goddamn storm cloud. And I don't. Why, it's why just, Levitt, it's like, so just hands up. Like everything's fine. We say Levitt, we want to give you the shot. Why the heck does he want to come back? I'm gonna be pro- no. Are you kidding me? The prodigal son returns. He, he you no- think him? He actually wants to say, "Yeah, I, I want to come back to this." Absolutely. Of course. Why wouldn't he? Because he then, he I mean, always- look how far he went to lie to try to keep his job. I think he would. He would take it back. He, he's Judy's not like he thinks he can stick around at Florida State and get that job. He's going to be the D coordinator there next year, probably. At likely worst for him. If Taggart blows up, I've heard there's some people in the Brewsters that like him a lot. So I don't know about that, but that's that's just what I've heard from some people. But at worst, he's going to be the DC at Florida State next year. And then if he wants that job, he can spin one off that if he has a good season. He's from here. He went to Gibbs. He or did he go to Gibbs? He went to school in St. Pete. I thought I think it's Gibbs. Um, he knows this area. He would come back, and the the biggest obstacle to his employment is no longer here. So the the big middle finger that he would be able to give to the administration that ran him off, I think, of course, I think he'd be interested. Do I think it's a good hire? In 2019, hiring a defensive coach with that kind of track record that never won anything in October and November, that you know did a, a great job with the resources that he had and did an amazing job building this program. He was the perfect guy to get this program from zero to where it got to, but to maintain something long-term in 2019, I, I don't know. 
Oh, right. I think we're even devoting too much brain energy to this idea. If you think I USF think should hire Jim Levitt, just at Nate on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to end this part right here, this conversation. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I mentioned to you guys in the Slack channel, I spoke to a guy um, last week who has been coached by Levitt, Skip Holtz, and Willie Taggart. Okay. All three. He, I asked, you know, just in casual conversations, he knows what I do. He's like, I was like, you know, what years did you play at USF? And he's like, oh yeah, I would played here from 09 to 13. I was like, awesome. How, how was, uh, Levitt that final year? And he's like, well, um, basically he practiced everyone, uh, to their breaking point, and that's why the team always broke down uh, late in the year because everyone was hurt. There was no depth. Uh, he was such a hard ass. I was like, oh, so everything that we've said for the past decade is 100% accurate. Perfect. Cool, 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 cool. Um, then he was like, yeah, Skip was the opposite. We would never practice in pads, um, soft as shit, and it showed. So <laughs> it's, it's kind of ridiculous to think that this guy – I mean, he's older, wiser maybe, but this guy is still an insane man. <laughs> like he's not—he's not a sane person. There's no way. Besides the point that he like between Coke and Pepsi, he willingly drinks Pepsi. I mean, that should just cut it off right there. But then so his other actions. How does he feel about oatmeal raisin cookies? <laughs> They're delicious and better than chocolate chip. Congratulations, Jim. Um, I, the weirdest times I have to teach you this lesson, old man. <laughs> See, no, nobody's going to get this. Like we had a whole running joke on about that I like oatmeal raisin cookies over chocolate chip, and they all made fun of me for it because um, oatmeal raisins are better. I'm going to tell. I, I mean, I, I've told this before. I the weirdest 18 holes of golf I ever played in my life. I played with Jim Levitt. He's a strange cat, man. He's just, a, he's just an interesting, kind of unusual dude. Um, he was not exactly known for his, like, fantastic relationships with donors and, like, community involvement or anything when he was here the first time. I doubt that's changed. Um, that's the thing about bringing in a guy like Kerwin is that he's been a head coach. He's won as a head coach, and he's personable, and he can help, you know, generate revenue. I totally get that. But it's just a hard sell to this community that you – the sell is, is that you've got to make it look like USF is trying to be good at football. And if you just run out the coordinator that was just the head, the coordinator of a team that just went somewhere between two and 10 and four and eight and didn't perform very well on offense, that's a really, really tough sell. I'm not saying it's fair and I'm not saying it's right. I'm saying that's going to be the perception. All right. So we're done here. Anyway, we owe them a lot of money. We don't have a lot of money. We don't know what's going to happen, but if we lose to UConn this week, man, Kiffin. Just do the full Kiffin. I'm sorry. I, I got to ask, though. We, it, I'm not trying to create a brand over here as like the little, you know, red flag in the corner, but. No, that's your brand. That is your brand. <laughs> we're, we're really operating under an assumption here, and I'm not saying it's wrong, but we're operating under the assumption that if we hired Kerwin Bell, that would be a good hire, and the hump is selling it to the fan base. What tangible proof do we have that Kerwin Bell would be a good hire, apart from the fact that he ran a good D two offense? He's won. Right. He's won a championship. No, yeah. He's won a championship every single level. He's coached. Said he coached one double. He coached one double A with non scholarship players and was in the top twenty five. 
He's won. If, if he's won literally everywhere. Players. But the only thing he doesn't have is he doesn't have an offensive line here. I, I'm not sixth place. He's gone. He's won. I'm not saying he wouldn't be successful. I truly, truly, I, I really would like to believe in Kerwin Bell. But I'm, I'm just, I'm looking at this objectively, not looking at who I like, who I don't like. If you told me last year that USF was going to hire the top Division II coach in the nation to be their new coach, I would be like, what the heck are we doing? You know, and, and things, you know, there it's not all on paper. It's not all black and white. There are good hires that come from interesting, strange places and bad hires that come from obvious places. But I, I don't see the check marks yet for Kerwin Bell, apart from we really think that this guy is a smart offensive mind, and I believe it. Obviously, Seth, you've, you know, <laughs> you're much more qualified than most of us to speak on this. But, yeah. um, well, I mean, I don't, I don't know, but he's uh, – my thing with him is he's literally won at every level. I know D2, but he was a one, he was at 1AA um, playing with, at JU, and they made they were in the top 25. They about made the playoffs one year um, with non-scholarship players. And I just know personally from experience as a coach, I had kids that had 1A offers – um, you know, like Mac type offers that almost went to JU to play um, for no scholarship just because they liked him so much and they liked their kind of style so much and how they recruited. So I've kind of seen it from both sides. I know that he'll be able to recruit. And I think with time he'd win too. And I mean, then my other thing is like, what's okay. So if you do buy out strong, you have no money because you want to build the indoor practice facility. So who are you going to hire to a team that just ran off a really respected coach in Charlie Strong after three years that has poor facilities and no money. I mean, if we want to be, thing. if we want to kind of be real about the situation, that'd be kind of coming in from the outside. You'd probably end up getting somebody coming from one double A or D two because exactly. why else, why else would anybody else want to come to this situation where you may get a guy that that's strong is well respected by coaches. Now, I don't know. Um, you know, I don't know about recruiting or anything. I, I just kind of know him as a coach, kind of how he's viewed by other coaches, especially in the state of Florida. Um, and kind of, you know, just generally he's well respected. So you get a guy that's coming here three years and gets run off, possibly in the middle of his, his third season. Uh, you don't have, you have terrible facilities, which I think everyone here would agree on. You have no money to build the facilities because you just fired a well respected coach. And now you have no money to hire a new coach. So what are you going to get? So I that's, think that's kind of the other thing that maybe needs to be thought of too is how attractive is this if, if you fire strong and you have to pay him? I want to completely agree with you that this the the perception of the job at USF has never been lower in any coaching search that we've ever done. So like when we fired Levitt, we were four years into the Big East had. Um, uh, a program that was considered on the rise. You know, we had had some success. We were number two in the country two years before. Um, and so that was considered like, you know, a, we were a destination job, which is why it's amazing that we ended up with Skip Holt. Um, when Skip was fired, the job certainly took a hit, but they took a chance on Willie Taggart, um, you know, who had, had limited success at, at Western Kentucky. We knew the facilities weren't exactly what they were supposed to be, but it was okay. This time, the last time around when Charlie came in, it was considered, well, 
yeah, the facilities aren't great and the academics are a little bit challenging and you don't have a ton of money, but you know, there's Florida athletes everywhere and you can get them. Well, now you're not even getting the Florida athletes and you're not doing that because you're, you're not keeping up in terms of facilities. So this is, if we make a change, it's going to be harder to get a good coach than it ever has, which for a school in Florida, it's flipping insane. It's flipping insane to you have access to a good conference and it's going to be a challenge for you to get a good coach. Yep. Um, I mean, I don't think there's really much else to uh, kind of expand on here. Um, I feel like I don't like calling for a coach to get fired, but I think it was time. And, you know, I kind of sat on it and sat on it. And then Saturday was the tipping point for me. Um, it's unfortunate. This it's real. It's really not, and it sucks. And I just want, I just want to be so perfectly clear here. Um, Charlie Strong is a fantastic human being and a great guy, like fantastic. Like at Media Day, he he went out of his way to sit with uh, me and Andrew Pina at lunch. Like he didn't have to. Like his players were a table over, and he willingly sat down next to us and we were talking. Like he is a great guy, and it it's unfortunate. Uh, that it just didn't work out here, but um, for the betterment of this program, he can no longer be the head coach here. Um, he, for all his prickliness in, in the uh, the media, um, him and I feel like in the. I mean, if if I had asked any other coach, you know, are you going to fire someone? And then we kind of had that back and forth last year. I don't think. Our relationship was as good as it was up until, you know, Sunday afternoon. You know, like it, at FanFest, he, you know, I hadn't been to practice. And he was like, Bon, where you been? Where you been? And I was like, Coach, I started a new job. And he's like, okay, all right, all right. It's like as he's taking pictures. Like it's one of those things where, like, he's a very nice guy. He kind of he cares um, about people. It just did not work out here. I just need this that is to be a- perfectly clear. Like he's not a dick. Like he is not Sterling Gilbert. Okay, like I frankly, if Sterling Gilbert stepped on a Lego barefoot every single morning for the rest of his life, perfectly fine. Um, He is just not a good person. And I will stand by that for the rest of my life. But Charlie Strong is a legitimately like nice person. Like Willie Taggart was more of a dick to me than Charlie Strong ever was. And uh, like that, I'm I'm glad you said that because this is not personal. The reason these coaches make so much money is because performance matters. And I I will root for Charlie at his next stop if it is not here. And you know, hell, I'd love to see us win out. I just don't see any like reasonable way that that could happen. But um, I will root for Charlie at his next stop. Um, I want him to be successful in life on and off the field. I think he's a good guy. I think the players think he's a good guy. Do you agree with that? That like the players think he's like a decent human being who like, you know, maybe not what they're looking for in a head coach in terms of like how somebody runs the program. But I think they think he's a he's looking out for their best interests as as like people. I think so. And I think he I mean, unfairly or fairly, I think uh, Willie's guys just didn't like him right off the jump. I know there was the, you know, the, the tweet from Johnny Ward about, you know, I, can't wait to be at the University of South Carolina or be your coach. That slip of the tongues happen. I get it. Um, it's unfortunate that it happened because that was who the bowl opponent was. 
but it happens. Um, and it, you know, sometimes those things kind of add up, but I think there was a real disconnect between the guys that Charlie brought in and Willie Tiger's guys. And now that Willie Tiger's guys are outnumbered at this point, um, it's like eight to like 115. Um, you kind of see that the, the players do like Charlie Strong. I mean, you don't get all of these transfers in from other places with who had offers if Charlie's not a good enough person to interact with on a daily basis and be coached by. It just didn't work out here. All right, another news, volleyball split, soccer one. What else? Um Men's basketball. I think there's a basketball game at the end of the month, so there's that. Thank God, we're gonna need that. We're gonna All need. Right, we're gonna need a good basketball season this year. It's gonna. Be you fun. can only say one word. What place in the conference will USF men's basketball finish? Five. Four. Third. Two. Oh, Seth, you got to oh, pick him to win it. <laughs> Oh, so they're, they're they're taking home the championship. I don't know any <laughs> team or the coach where they're going to win it. There you go. Is that what you got? I'm like super hyped and super excited, but I also was super excited for football. So I'm trying to taper myself, even though there's actual like legitimate, um, you know, reason to be excited. And Brian Gregory is amazing. Um, one yeah, thing there's tangible say, evidence here. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Hey, CBI champs, baby. Um, basketball I, program carrying USF football in the minds of fans is going to be <laughs> such a weird economy. <laughs> I think like, you know, you know, Bagman, Memphis, Houston's still really, really good. And then, you know, Wichita State could be great for the guy that anyway, four sounds pretty decent. Uh, one thing I will say, here. I think uh, I think uh, I got to trust Michael Kelly on what that choice is going to end up being. I don't know. And Kelly, um, we just we're yeah, two of us are wearing his T-shirt right now, actually, on the video um, like in Kelly, we trust like if we're going to get this thing fixed, we got the right guy. We just need to give him the resources. We need resources, resources, resources. This is this is why I have always said that the hires of athletic directors and presidents are way more interesting than coaches because athletic directors and presidents help you win and lose more on the field than anybody else at your university. I don't care who you hire as a coach. Yep. All right. Um, so that's it. Uh, once again, thank you for listening. Um, and never, ever forget, Ryan is always right, and I'm a big dummy. I am always right, but Nate is also very smart. Oh, you're so sweet. All right. Well, thanks for listening to the, the Illuminati podcast presented by Matrix Hormones. Uh, you can reach him at 813-333-2226. Did I get that right? 813-333-2226. MatrixHormones.com. Find them on Facebook. Also find them at their website, MatrixHormones.com. Uh, three field goals, three safeties, one touchdown, no PAT. Get back on track, much like USF men's basketball will this year. MatrixHormones.com. Go Bulls. Go Bulls. Go Bulls and go Rays. Go Bulls. <laughs>